going to give uh, uh, Ajahn Pabro a, a little introduction uh, because uh, he's relatively new uh, to well, uh, staying here at Tisarana. Um, Ajahn Pabro is uh, one of the, um, I figured it out last time, he's one of the first, one of two first uh, Canadian bhikkhus to be ordained in Canada by a Canadian preceptor uh, in a Canadian Sema. This happened at Birkin uh, about 14 years ago now. So Ajahn's a, a monk of about 14, 15 bus, and um, he's gonna be with us for the rains. Um, and he has visited here before over the years of Tusarana's development, but this I think is his longest, his longest stay. So uh, we'll give the talk this afternoon. I've been uh, living in Thailand for the last um, six or seven years seven or eight years. So um, my uh, bhikkhu life is rather different in, in some ways there than it is here. And of course, in many ways, um, similar or identical. But um, one of the ways it differs is that <laughs> is that I'm asked to give talks here sometimes. And uh, that doesn't happen in Thailand. Both because there are um, there are tens of thousands of senior monks and uh, also because um, I don't speak Thai. <laughs> More than a few words. <laughs> All of which means that um, when I do give talks, um, unless, unless it's on a retreat when some sort of continuity can be established and kind of felt, uh, or uh, some other occasions, or when it's just a pure act of luck, um, I don't usually know what to talk about. So I asked Mupavira uh, Damo, and he said, oh, just talk about yourself. <laughs> they don't know you. <laughs> I'm not that interesting. <laughs> so, I, I was ordained as, as a Sir Mojito says I was ordained in, in Canada uh, by Lumpur Pisano, whom some of you may have met over the years. He's probably visited here from time to time. I expect my, my preceptor, who is uh, taking this year as a break from his... What? 38 years of training monks, something like that, and leading monasteries. And um, slowly, I think he's stepping into what will be called his retirement. Uh, everyone, I'm sure, will be interested to see what it looks like, including himself. Being ordained in Canada means that, that um, you have some, some idea of what it feels like to be a monk in the West and be answering 
um, on a weekly, sometimes a daily basis, that always interesting question, why do you shave your head? Living in Thailand, of course, is very different from that because um, the, um, the Thai, Thais know what monks are and what monks are doing or should be doing. And um, generally speaking, they let you do what monks should be doing, which is, which is a real gift. And so it, it, it's a cause uh, for a great deal of respect, I think, for, for, um, for me and for, for monks who have some idea of what this takes. It, 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 it engenders a great deal of respect for us to, th to think of, say, Lampovira-Dhammo, uh, establishing a monastic presence and life and, and monastery and, and training center in, in the West because um, other than ethnic Buddhists who, who live in the area, then uh, so many of the people who find out about a monastery, begin to come to a monastery, don't necessarily have too much idea about what a monastery is. They might uh, already, and you may or may not feel that you fit into this kind of category, but they they could easily have quite a good idea of what meditation looks and feels like and, and have been uh, dabbling in it or, or seriously practicing it for some time, but it's unlikely that they that they uh, know quite as much about uh, what, um, what mon monastic life is, is like. So it's, um, it's an act of uh, considerable generosity, I think, uh, for um, for senior monks to give so much of themselves to, to uh, returning, I guess, returning to their home cultures and, and beginning to, to um, uh, establish a, a monastic, not just a Buddhist, but a monastic footprint in, in, in the West, in Canada or the States or whatever. Can you, can you hear me? I have no idea if the speaker is working or... It's too low. It's too low, yeah. It may not be... It's either the speaker's fault or just my my, my voice, <coughs> which is not feeling particularly strong this this afternoon. Possibly only Crawford knows what this is. This is uh, something that came in the mail today. Ajahn Viridamo uh, let me bring it here. I think he he was reluctant because it's a rather delicate thing. It's a measuring device. And um, any of you who have listened to some of Lumpur's talks knows how fond he is of, of um, relating craft, precision, care to the practice of Dhamma. And so he's going to probably put this on his table saw or use it with his router or um, measure mortise and tenon joints for things that he's building. Um, it's it's almost infinitely precise. It has sixty fourths of an inch here, which are really you need a laser to, to, to measure those out. It's quite a quite a thing. Our own practice of dhamma, I think, seldom feels quite so precise as this. Uh, changes from day to day, um, and uh, we we probably don't always feel that we have even the the means by which to judge it with any kind of precision because our moods vary uh, our minds vary from day to day um, possibly the subject of meditation that we're 
uh, employing or looking at uh, examining using in meditation practice may also change you may most people most people that I know use their breath a good deal should we put it up I can help I can help all right if I'm talking right into it yeah sure Some of you, were any of you here last night? No. Well, we heard a talk by Lumper Semedo, and he has that beautiful operatic baritone, you know, <laughs> and uh, he can really fill a hall. <laughs> so any kind of craft, um, whatever it is that we undertake, whether it's cooking or gardening or or woodcraft, or metal, metal work, or, or um, um, any kind of craft. It's, it's some domain in which we have, we have uh, organized our attention and our materials and, and our workspace in, in, in some kind of way, using these terms metaphorically, of course. And uh, we begin to, um, to work with them in such a way that we can we can develop something of interest, whether it's the garden or the or the stew or the soup or or um, a chair, and whether we can create something which which didn't exist before. Of course, with a garden or or actually with anything, um, the materials themselves have a lot to say about what what it is that can can come out of it. Um, if you're if you're a gardener, um, you don't actually grow the plant. That's always a kind of humbling thing, I think, to remember what it is that we're responsible for and what we what is really outside of our ken. Um, we don't grow the potatoes. The potatoes have it in them themselves to, to do what they do. I, um, I brought this bell stand because, I don't know, some of you regulars, do you notice anything different about it? It has a new set of legs, new, new set of feet. I made the feet. You see, I, I, um, I kind of, I'm, 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 I'm cautious about using where I, where I employ my verbs here, because I didn't make any of these pieces of wood. It's important to, to kind of bear that in mind. But um, years ago, um, I found this big timber under the barn, underneath the barn there. Um, and it had been hand-hewn uh, with an axe probably in the late 19th century. I told the barn was made in 1880s. And uh, I liked the look of this big timber, and I thought, well, you know, uh, it's nice to be able to deal with big solid pieces of wood, and you need, I think you need something really substantial to properly, um, to properly house uh, or found a bowl. So uh, I found the base of a bowl. So, so I asked Ajahn Kusolo, I guess, or maybe Lumpur Viradamo. This is in the days when Lumpur would be with his mother for most of the week. So I um, took the chainsaw and cut it down and then took it into the shop and kind of wrestled it because it was, a, uh, it was reluctant at that time to be separated from, <laughs> from 
the big beam itself and I and I left some of the big marks of, of the axe in it because um, I found it kind of charming to think of some someone uh, several generations ago actually having made made some proper use of of this uh, piece of piece of wood likely it was a log that was um, felled in this area maybe by the by the person himself and uh, dragged over there probably with a team of horses and so there's a something quite lovely about the history of, of this thing but um, I put some small legs or feet on it and I decided a couple of days ago that they weren't big enough and so uh, we or, uh, where is he? Niraso and I when we were doing some shopping earlier in the week I got a piece of rosewood so I thought well rosewood now there's a there's an exotic wood, but it's also wood from the tropics. It doesn't grow in Canada, as far as I know, except in a, a zoo somewhere. And um, rosewood comes from the tropics, comes from from Asia and elsewhere. But um, so you have this have this kind of Asian foundation to to this uh, local rustic piece of wood, which which uh, on which the the Balatisarn rests. I had all of this. You can see a very complicated mind at work. All of these little conceptual things that, that made the whole project interesting to me. And then yesterday I made those feet and today I, uh, I uh, sunk them into the, to the bowl stand uh, with uh, mortise joints. As a monk, uh, it's, it's um, it's a matter of some gratitude to have the time to, to do these sorts of things, but also um, uh, when I do them, I, I like to um, um, I like to pay attention to my mind and um, and uh, observe the degree of mindfulness which is taking place and, and also what 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 is stimulating these actions that I'm doing. It may be just simple service to the sangha. Uh, every no, every day, as you know, if you've been here, um, well, five days a week, basically, there is a, a work period which is very ably managed by the Tan Kemiko, and um, that's an opportunity to to serve the sangha, to and to serve by extension all of the people who come here. So it could be, I suppose, weeding or or fixing a bridge or or um, getting the dry rot out of uh, out of some old kuti or some something like this. But it's when, when we remember why we're doing things or, or bring to mind the larger picture in which we're, we're undertaking some, some actions, uh, it, it, it offers an opportunity to, uh, to uh, call up other, other states of mind than simply, where's the hammer? Or, oh geez, I just made another mistake or something like that. We remember why we're doing things. And it brings, uh, gives us this opportunity to, to keep our mind arranged in a in a in a fitting way. So as a as a monk, I think uh, about these things. Of course, like everyone's mind, mind wanders, and uh, takes takes various courses in and out of this and that. But um, I, I do my best to bring it back to the to matters at hand. Goodness knows. I didn't. I didn't need this for this bell stand. Um, there's nothing particularly refined about it. But uh, when our practice 
develops and, and sometimes when we're say in a retreat and we can observe the mind in a more um, in a more subtle manner owing to the length of time we spent uh, in, in retreat practice it begins to feel like we have something some kind of measuring device like this available to us why because mindfulness is does mindfulness is a faculty and it becomes a power this is why in the 37 bodhipakyadamas the wings of awakening factors of awakening um, mindfulness appears several times and two of the times that it appears it appears in a little list of five of five faculties and it appears in the next list of the five powers and it's usually only in um, rather refined circumstances that we even get a glimpse of what sati mindfulness feels like as a, as a spiritual power how is it that, that mindfulness could actually um, engender the kinds of transformations that is claimed for it in Buddhist texts and in biographies and so forth if it simply meant being aware or paying attention we can use this this word in very um, kind of commonplace ways uh, and we I think we, we it's easy to do it injustice by uh, always making reference to it simply as I was aware I was aware of what I was doing so I was mindful I was conscious I wasn't asleep so I was mindful there was mindfulness there when I did this that or the next thing Yet in, in Buddhist literature and in the, uh, the words of, in the reflections of, of great meditation masters, it's clear that how it is that they regard and experience this, this, uh, this faculty or this power, um, um, it's quantitatively different uh, than, than, or qualitatively different than what we normally uh, um, think of as simply as mindfulness. I don't know how long I don't know how long talks usually are go on in the afternoons, but um, I could drift into something related to this, but I'm also quite happy to 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 uh, to field questions if there if there are any yes that's how that's where my mind's going so I I can do that yes did you okay done well. So, um, not many peop people are, are, are given to studying Abhidhamma, and I'm, I'm one of them. Um, I've, I've made little inquiries in, in, in it from, from time to time. Um, Abhidhamma is the, um, well, is one of the th three uh, uh, collections of literature which we call the Tikitaka, the, the three three baskets, 
there's the, uh, the Sutta Pitaka, the sort of basket, the collection of, of, um, of suttas, of discourses of the Buddha and his great disciples. There is the Vinaya Pitaka, which is the collection of um, 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 dis the literature surrounding uh, monastic discipline. And then there's the Abhidhamma Pitaka, which is the, it's sometimes translated as a higher Dhamma, at least that's how it used to sometimes be translated. Um, it may be more accurately just, it's about Dhamma. It's, 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 um, it's literature that uh, takes up the sub various Dhammic subjects in a very, very refined way. Um, it's, it's a little bit related to, you know, in, in, in English we have this word metaphysics, which is kind of higher, some higher physics, and um, uh, uh, Aristotle wrote this text called the Metaphysics, and apparently what he just meant was that it, it came after the, the book he called the Physics, so it's, you know, it's the next book, it's volume two of the Physics, the Metaphysics. And Abhidhamma might just be about Dhamma rather than higher Dhamma. But um, there's a, and I, and I, can, I won't, and I, I, I can't, I won't because I can't uh, bring to mind uh, the various lists I'm going to refer to. But Sati uh, uh, is found in a list of what are called chitasikas or, or uh, mental factors. And uh, it's, it's actually quite. Uh, illuminating and, and a little bit humbling, but also very um, important, I think, just to reflect a little bit of how it functions in, in this list. So there are, what, 52 of them, right? Looking at the, the Burmese, okay, Burmese-educated uh, 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 monk here, Venerable Viveka. Uh, there are 52 of them, and there are universals, so um, mental factors that always appear. You know, you open your eyes in the morning and, and you've got some of these, some of the lights are on. And there are occasional things, uh, say joy might be an occasional. So sometimes you're, you, know, you feel that uplift of joy and sometimes you don't. And um, then there are, um, there are um, um, negative, negative uh, mental factors, so let's say cruelty. A thought of cruelty would be a, a negative uh, chitasika. A group of those, uh, um, when the mind is in an unwholesome state, uh, there are universals, so it will always contain a certain number of these uh, unwholesome factors, and it will contain some some occasional. So depending on which which uh, di direction the mind turns when it's uh, in an unwholesome state. Uh, um, some of these occasionals may or may not appear, but all of the universals will. Similarly, when the wholesome chikasa, when the mind is in a wholesome state, um, there are universals, there's a group that always occur, and there, there, there are some that sometimes occur. Um, equanimity might be uh, um, an occasional in the wholesome, in the wholesome factors. Sometimes it, sometimes it is not present, and sometimes it is. So, sati appears as a, a wholesome uh, universal. Or a, a, it always appears in, in wholesome states of mind.
And when you read when you read the lists that that arise in a wholesome state of mind, it's it's quite a beautiful list actually. It's quite a just I don't know how you are if your mind kind of turns in this way, but for me, sometimes just reading reading through a list, contemplating, reflecting on various elements in a list, sometimes because there's a causality between you know the third and the fourth and the fourth and the fifth and so forth. Um, I find it quite um, quite relaxing sometimes, actually, but it's quite a, a lovely thing to, to do. Uh, and so in this case, uh, reflecting on the, the wholesome mental factors is, is quite, a, quite a, a lovely thing to, to do. So, simple point here, though. Where is mindfulness in, in this? It's in the wholesome side. So what is it that's going on when when the mind is, is, is not in a wholesome uh, state. What is it that we normally call, or very often can call, mindfulness in a kind of weak form, a weakened form? What I think this would, what, what this would be called in, in, in this list of chitasikas in the Abhidhamma would be manasikara. So, and we would translate, I think it's usually translated as attention just attention. So I'm, I open my eyes and my using the visual sense I see people in front of me. I see people sitting on mats in front of me with white socks and blue pants or what have you. So I just have this, this sense. This is, this is attention and it may or may not be uh, accompanied with wholesome factors. It may or may not be accompanied with unwholesome factors, but that's uh, that's the rudiment uh, of, of, of uh, a, a simple act of attention. When mindfulness or when when sati arises, though it arises with and I can't remember what is it nineteen or something like that, quite a long group of, of, of wholesome factors. And just contemplating these these factors, you do get a sense of, of the power that, that is involved. And so, of course, any of us, all of us here, have had wholesome states of mind. That's that's a given. And therefore, we have ex we have experienced mindfulness. But we need usually to to think uh, to um, a time of, of of some considerable power to attention. Uh, power uh, uh, for of our mindfulness, which has been accompanied with uh, a state of uplift, <coughs> a state of uh, perhaps a, thoughts of generosity, thoughts of gratitude, things like this. Then we have a we we situate more properly this this mental factor, which is being called here sati or mindfulness, not simple attention. <clears throat> we could have very good uh, and clear mindfulness when we're washing dishes, but we also could simply have attention. The mind is wandering this way and that, and if somebody asks you what you're doing, I'm washing my dishes, how do you know that? Well, it may be because you're really mindful, but it probably is because you're just, you're, you know, you're, you're conscious, you're paying attention, you're paying some attention. So, what is it that's happening when you answer the phone, when you open the fridge, when you are sitting at a stoplight, when you're, when you're weeding the garden? It depends, it depends. And you can ask yourself, uh, you, you, there can be a kind of open questioning uh, of, of the heart and mind from time to time, every few minutes. Ah, ah, 
what's what's this? What's this? Is there, you know, is there, am I simply attentive here? Am I simply conscious, aware? Or is there actual real mindfulness? Real, I'm saying, in terms of the lists I'm referring to. I don't, I'm I'm always very reluctant to, to, um, to give people reasons to, to become members of the language police, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not trying to promote this idea so that, that we start to correct people on their use of the word mindfulness. I think that could be uh, the cause for a great deal of uh, turmoil <laughs> these days, since, since the word is used for everything. But, but remember, what is mindfulness referred to? What is it used for in our culture? Um, they, they teach it in the military. <clears throat> I mean, snipers have to be very mindful, right? Well, this would, this would give us a, a, at least an internal answer to that question. Um, <clears throat> are, we, are we really mindful when we're, when we're um, uh, looking at a customer as we're trying to sell them the car and trying to discern which, which mate to sort of steer them towards and how much, we, how much commission we might make? Well, we're certainly conscious and aware, and we might have generally decent intentions towards the, uh, the, the young family in front of us, but uh, it may not be, at least in the terms I'm using here, a, a wholesome state of mind. Uh, the stakes are pretty high here. The bar is, the bar is an elevated one, and um, uh, it's, it's good sometimes to remind ourselves of, of, of where, where the Dhamma places that bar. Um, some kind of selflessness, some kind of um, um, the availability uh, very easily of, say, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, generosity, gratitude, respect. The availability of these, of these really beautiful mind states would, would seem quite natural to a person who was, in, in, in the terms I'm speaking of, truly mindful on this occasion. See what, I, see what I mean here? It doesn't mean that we're, we're all going to have states in which we're just, we're just functioning, the mind is just dealing with, with, with basic things, and we're, we're not committing any great errors of judgment, we're not doing unwholesome things per se, but uh, there may not be uh, in those occasions uh, mindfulness in, in this sort of uh, fully blown sense that I'm, I'm, I'm making reference to. So, so maybe there are questions now. <laughs> Yes. So thank you for thank you for elaborating on mindfulness. I wonder if you might say something about if there is some overall purpose for that mindfulness. Where are we going? What's the direction? What is it supporting? Well, it's a, it's a condition which ultimately supports wisdom, derising of wisdom. Wisdom, again, understood in, in, certain, in certain ways in Buddhism. Um, as I've been mentioning, uh, mindfulness is, is simply one of these wholesome mental factors. So, if you think of yourself in a circumstance when um, 
meditation is very much so at the fore. Maybe you're in a, in a long retreat, perhaps, or spending uh, a full day of kind of retreat at your home or what have you. It does develop, though. It's, it's sort of like a stew, you know. It, it, it never cooks unless the heat's on. And, but something begins to happen. Again, something which is rather beyond our uh, willing and doing. When, when there's actually heat on the stove and the carrots are beginning to soften and the flavors are beginning to commingle and so forth. Something, something, we're not, we don't have to attend to everything. One of my old meditation teachers used to say, uh, I, can't, I can't reproduce his accent, it's very difficult, but you look after mindfulness and mindfulness will look after you. Okay? So, when when we are actually giving ourselves to practicing in a some kind of concerted manner, and when we've experienced this, and, and the mind is being able to discern and tell the difference and, and, and feel the difference uh, over perhaps uh, months or years, just by dipping into this from time to time, we, get, we begin to feel that something is at work. One of the things that happens uh, when we uh, practice meditation and uh, develop mindfulness is that one of the things that must happen is that uh, uh, the, the mind also becomes calm. You know, calm, uh, calmness and clarity, they, come, they go together, don't they? And of course, the, 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 the usual simile for this is just what happens when muddy water is, is just you know, a glass of water is just set somewhere and eventually everything settles and begins to still and um, there, are no, there are no more waves in the glass of water and the, and the mud settles. And lo and behold, maybe it may be a day or so later, but we can see right through it. No longer through a, da a, glass, a glass darkly. It's, uh, it's quite clear. That meditation can often be spoken of in rather, um, oh, I don't know, cerebral terms, um, using the, you know, the, the language purely of psychology. But um, we can also reflect uh, that these states are experiences. We feel them. There, there's a texture to, you could say, to, to to being feeling mindful in, in, uh, in, 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 in during a retreat it has a there is an experience of stillness of quiet of of, of purity. Uh, the mind is is also wholesome. It is not it, um, irritations are are subdued. Um, uh, little pet, petty jealousies or remembering arguments and still finding you know, those things are subdued and there is relief in that isn't there it's uh, there's a state of ease it's a very i mean you can speak of it as a very complex thing but in fact it feels very simple it feels very natural and pure the mind is settled clear and a luminous light And in that state, what we can call there's a kind of dilation of attention. Um, so things slow down. When mindfulness is, is, is very calm and clear, uh, the stillness of mind, one of the things that it means is that experience seems to be, have slowed down. Um, 
events uh, arise and fall away, you know, our attention in a in a in a less hurried manner. We that's the experience of it, at least. Uh, so we we get to in that in that context we get to see things more clearly because they <laughs> they they happen experientially at least uh, more slowly. So that's looking after mindfulness. It's just picking some simple um, object of experience, and of course we so often use the breath. Breath is very lovely. It's a very very subtle. Um, uh, object to use for meditation because I'm sure you've all noticed it um, the stiller you become the the more breath just keeps seeming almost to recede from your attention it slows it becomes quieter and um, uh, it, it yes of course it, be, it can become clear and very beautiful in its own right but it becomes also very subtle very soft you can But if mindfulness is strong enough to be observing this, this change, it's also strong enough to be observing uh, um, other dimensions of experience which are arising and passing away. So this is, this is looking after mindfulness. This is sort of, this is the practice of a meditator. Now here, in the midst of this, um, for people with a, a bit of a, a temperament, a faith temperament, or having some, some kind of a, a openness to the Buddha's teachings in a, in a uh, broader manner, you can reflect. Um, the Buddha spoke again and again about the three characteristics of, of existence. So we would say that what is called insight can, can arise, can arise when we have just carefully, lovingly, and over, over perhaps a long period of time, Looked after the, 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 the uh, looked after the conditions of experience in this kind of way. We've kept, we've kept uh, uh, again and again. We've kindled the light of, of mindfulness. We've we've um, we've observed, we've noted, and we've set aside perhaps uh, irritations or or um, uh, other forms of. of um, Confusion that that, uh, that that provide obstacles to, to mental clarity again and again, and with with patience, patient attention, we've, we've done this. Mindfulness becomes very very clear, very very deep. There's this kind of dilation of attention, and then um, what can can occur is that uh, uh, insight can arise. It's in those kinds of conditions that that the true nature of reality can suddenly erupt. And again, returning to, to my early Thai meditation teacher from the 80s, I guess it was, uh, he said, you know, we as meditators, we do our duties. Our duty is, to, is simply to watch the breath. Our duty is to watch the hand as it reaches for the glass and puts it down. Reach, watch, watch the belly as it rises and falls, or whatever our, the focus of our meditation is. But it's the duty of wisdom to do its thing when when everything is just right. That's that's its duty. It's not, in other words, it's not our responsibility. 
it will arise owing to its own agency, you might say. You might be using language in a way which may or may not feel uh, comfortable to you. But um, I often find it helpful to, uh, again, uh, apportion the verbs where they belong, or at least remember that uh, uh, as an individual, I can't, I can't do all of this. The, the process itself, it's any more than you can make the stew. It's the heat, isn't it? <laughs> it's the heat that really does it. Yeah, stirring it at the right time and having the right temperature uh, is, is very crucial. That's your duty. But it's, it's actual heat, but you don't produce the heat. So wisdom, wisdom takes care of its own business if we look after the business that, that, uh, that, uh, um, that constitutes our meditation practice. Something like that. So mindfulness has a very, very distinct and important uh, uh, role in this. Sadhu, 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 Sadh